1: The FA Cup. It's become pretty important again. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Bithikovac. Me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's one of those debates, right? We should throw this cup or care about that cup or we should rotate for this so we can focus on that. Well, I got news for you folks. We might want to focus on the FA Cup because uh, that one's starting to feel pretty important again in light of our recent struggles. Um, you know, I, I, I like to look around and see where we stand in the, the title favoritism rankings how certain organizations that crunch the numbers tell us we're going to do. And let's be clear, those organizations don't know what the hell they're talking about because last year they told me we were going to win the title, and they were wrong. They lied to me, and I'm still bitter about it. Um, But according to one such organization, um, they have us having dropped 22.5% of our title likelihood over the last two games uh, from light favorites to now distant third place challengers so it just goes to show you though how silly it is to do these predictions because frankly all it takes is two weird results you didn't expect and the whole thing turns upside down stands on its head right muhammad's law is is going to be gone till hopefully mid-february or or later um You know, Rodri pulls a hamstring and City are not allowed to win games when he's not around. You know, that kind of stuff can change everything. So we don't want to get down in the dumps, but we do want to analyze what's going on today. We're going to talk about injuries and how we handle them, the January transfer window, because, hey, look, it's January. And we're going to talk about the FA Cup, of course. Um... If you'd like to join us for three big questions, that is the Patreon episode on tap for tomorrow. Three big questions where we basically do a deep dive on three things that we think are really in the mind of, of all of us uh, at the moment. It may not be in your mind, but we'd like to place it into your mind gently and with your permission, of course. Uh, We will be talking about Martinelli's form. We'll be talking about Mikel Arteta's status as Arsenal manager. You laugh, but I promise you we'll be be talking about why it's going to continue uh, for the long term. And we'll be talking about the squad construction and whether there's some questions around uh, how it's built for winning the things we want to win. So that's enough of me. I'm going to uh, mute my mic for the next 70 minutes and let you hear from Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil.
2: Hello Elliot. Nice to be back actually again in a belated happy new year.
1: A belated happy new Year to you. It is nice to see you from whichever location around the world you are in i I keep small tabs on on your general movements and how you're doing uh, through the medium of our uh, our blog related podcast, but we're always ha- happy to have you on this one. Um, are you prepared to freak out with us because th- the whole point of this pod is we're going to really freak out about how terrible everything is. so you've brought that energy, right?
2: Yeah, I've just got here in my notes everything is shit. So um yeah. let's yep. let's get going with that.
1: That's that's exactly the kind of mood that we're we're going for. That's the kind of tone I'm kidding. Look, it it is it is a case that right now the relentlessness of the of the schedule of the fixtures ha- will calm now. We have just the one until uh the 20th of January and that gives us a chance to hopefully put things in perspective, but I also get that it gives us the chance to cogitate on what's just happened and the last two results that happened are not the ones we want. So everybody's gonna be in a little different headspace. But the good news is we have injuries to talk about. And um Phil, I'll start with you as you are the guest. We we are confronted by a calf injury for Zinchenko. Thomas Party has not been called up to the African Cup of Nations, which we would think is a fantastic blessing, except that is a blessing in disguise because it appears the reason is that his injury is far more serious than anyone had reckoned with and there's some question around when it'd be available. Uh, Mohamed Elneny will go um, to the extent that that has a relevance to our options. And then more relevant is Tomiyasu going to the Asia Cup. If Zinchenko's out for any significant period of time, and Tomiyasu's off to the Asia Cup, and Kivior managed to make it one half at left back, I I guess the simplest way I can phrase this is Are we headed towards a future where Cedric is a prominent part of of our future, Phil? Is this this something I have to prepare for? All all kidding aside, I I see this as the great fullback crisis of 2024. Explain to me why I'm wrong.
2: Well, we need one a year, don't we, as Arsenal fans? (laughs) So I am maybe not as close to the Cedric button as you are. Um, I have to be honest. I just think, look, it's it's incredibly bad luck to have... um, Zinchenko out again, plus Timber, plus Tomiyasu not available. You know, you can't buy three p- uh, players for those positions and then have them all out. This is this is bad luck, right? Mm-hmm. And I know people can say, but Zinchenko never been reliable, and Tomiyasu's has never been reliable. But to have all of them unavailable at the same time is is bad luck, right? So I did listen to the uh, instant reaction after um, after the Fulham game, and I was I was up applauding on my feet because of what Clive said about Kivio and not giving him the capacity and the options to succeed, just rejig it a bit. Just reshuffle mm-hmm. it a bit because we have the players to be able to shuffle things around, whether that could be inverting Ben White, it could be just using Kivio as a standard left back and maybe having some progression coming in through Jorginho, for example, and pushing Declan Rice further forward. It could even be going to a back three um, if we'd like to be a bit more adventurous in in changing or switching things up. So Look, I I completely get how people might be worried about this stuff, Um, but I don't think we are in complete let's blow everything up territory. I think it might just need a bit of rejigging on the training ground to kind of get us going again. Maybe something fresh could could give us a shot in the arm that we need.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of weird that we're in a situation where Cedric's name is being invoked as an actual option to play real minutes and Kibior, who was only able to play a half the last time he started at fullback, are essentially looking at our fullback, look, uh, look like our fullback options at the moment. And yet I find people saying, if we buy another defender in this window, I'm going to lose it with this manager. And it's like, what do you want him to do? You know, I mean, at some point you, you simply need to be able to fill up the minutes. Um, and I, I tend to sympathize with your view that it is bad luck because if you look at the players that would have played or will have played any fullback minutes this season, it's Timber, Zinchenko, uh, Tomiyasu Thomas Party, right was playing right back. Not that anybody loved it, but he was seen as an option there and did quite well there at the back half of uh, last season. So you know frankly, we are really missing all the people that we would regard as as fullback options, certainly left back options. So Clive, how do we cope with it? You, as Phil rightly pointed out, I think we're frustrated by the position Kibior was put in uh, in terms of his ability to succeed. We've played without Zinchenko a couple times recently, and after the match, everybody was saying, well, that was a Zinchenko game, so that's been a a bit of an issue. Um, Clearly, there are things we want to do with left back that facilitate how we want to play, but we don't have the players that play in that way available. So before we talk market options, let's talk available options. How would you reconfigure? How would you work through the great fullback crisis of 2024? (laughs)
3: Well, I wouldn't call it a great fullback crisis, but, you know, we we operate at different ends of the spectrum. The Um,
1: awful fullback crisis?
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, just done me and I was out thinking about this very topic, very topic, Um, because there's been a lot of chat about left-back signing and left-back being a priority. And I thought about this. I thought, why left-back? And my original thought was, oh, St. Jenkins had a bad game. But then I looked at it slightly differently. I'm going to do some. I got my little squad configuration tool in my head. Just started pinging off. Right? Saying, <laughs> is this the best way to maximise what we have? If you think, let, just think this through with me a little bit. So we we now know that Kivir can't really do left back role as we want him to do. Right? So we now know that for sure. We also know that tinchenko has got cars made of string. Right? So we know that's going to come back to us. So. He cannot play every game when the crucial moments come. You know, Tomiyasu also has cars made of string, and primarily he potentially could be on the right back. If by adding a left back, this is what you do immediately to the squad construction. You get Kivio being a left centre back cover or right centre back cover immediately. You get Zinchenko to, to be protected and loves to play certain means, but not not continuously. You get Tomiyasu. Wednesday comes back fit, being a right-back cover, potentially, and a centre-back cover. And you get Ben White, also you can rotate to make sure he stays healthy, can do exactly the same. So by one signing, you open up a huge amount of depth. So if that signing is of the right profile, by that I mean, I call them cradling fullbacks, Because I think all inverted stuff sounds pretty until you turn the year. When the turn of the year, I'm not so I'm not sure if I want a 3-2. I might want a cradle four-two, if you see what I mean, Phil. You know what I mean? That two in front, double, and then go from there. We've got a centre mid coming back to health in the next three, four weeks, given we've only got one glee game in, in um January. And February the fourth is the key date against Liverpool that we really, 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 really care about we get past Palace, for example. So suddenly you bring back your centre midfield depth, you get Tom Yasu back early Feb and you buy a left-back, that doesn't mean that Zinchenko's dead. It means that he's protected. And also, on certain days you play inverted, on the big days you cradle in a 4-2, rather than a 3-2 or 2-3. I think that's a, such a huge optimal signing. And Phil will know some of the names that are out there, the Ajax kid, for example. And Phil, can you imagine what I'm saying now when you cradle on that side? And by, and by saying that, Think back to next year when we cradle both sides with a certain kid with an ACL. This you see I'm going with this? So you buy a mm-hmm. sign which optimises the squad balance right now, creates depth right now, doesn't throw away a future evolution of the team. And you actually buy into the future while fixing something right now, but not asking that player to play every minute of every game while we settle into a group. But that was my thought on the walk. And the it, just walked in, as you can tell, Phil, we don't plan this podcast. We just talk. <laughs> and uh <laughs> but actually that triggered that's exactly where I was. And I, and I would not have said that a week ago. I would have said, we just sent the midfielder, of course you know, we need this. We don't actually, you you get things in your group, you get inversion from other players in your back line if you need it into midfield. And you cradle the team for the months that matter, because there are sunny months pre Christmas, and there are gains for your life after Christmas. And we're going into gains for your life territory. So The left back's part of it, but also the health of our centre mid coming back, and Tommy Asad coming back. And I think we have the backdoor depth that we need to stabilise this group going forward. That's just the back end, Elliot. I know your point. Is thinking, what about centre forward? <laughs> but I leave you to. I leave that to you. Does that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I I do. I mean, I think sometimes you have to pay homage to the people that went before you though. And if Mikel Arteta really gets what it means to be Arsenal, I don't think he should address any defensive frailties and we should just start trying to win five to three, maybe lose the odd game six to one, you know, go back to our roots. Let's really connect with who we are as a club. Come on, please. Um, Phil thoughts on Clive's solutions. And, and if you want to mention any names, I mean, this Jarrell Hato, Hato, is it Hato? Mm Hato? Um, Uh, like he's 17 they're saying it's more of a summer move i'm not saying don't get the guy but i i will confess to my skepticism of that being something we want to do mid-flow of trying to win the domestic and european treble which i have us currently as favorites to do so you know no pressure drill yeah thoughts
2: I i think it is interesting because over the last year or so we have been linked to a few different profiles they were quite serious if not completely serious links to um, Jeremy Frimpong, who's at Bayer Leverkusen, and he's much more of a flyer at right back or right wing back. And he's had an incredible season at, at Bayer Leverkusen under Xabi Alonso. He would have provided something completely different. And obviously, recently, the links have been more Jarrell Hato, um, who's more of a centre-back left-back, who's, who's done amazingly well to come into this disaster of an Ajax side and, and and look competent at 17, you know, he's been a real bright spark for them. And even today there's been undercurrents about a, a Turkish player, Ferdi Kardioglu, who's at Fenerbahce, who can kind of be a Joao Cancelo figure on both sides. So to come in, play further forward if needed. So already that's three profiles there that we've been looking at. So it's clear that some thinking is going on behind the scenes. And also don't forget Tomiyasu and Timber can play both sides, right? We've just been, again, unlucky to lose both of them. I mean, the Timber one was just, that was a huge blow on day one of the season, you know, to lose that player who came in and had an amazing preseason, looked to be making that left-back spot his own. So I do think there there is a conscious effort to kind of find the right balance. And even though we'd like to, you know, we see the compilations of Rafael Leal, Ivan Tony, all of these guys, you know, even Dominic Solanke, who I really rate as a player as well. These guys are... Are the ones that excite us. I do think just giving us a bit more of a platform at the back can give us more options to stabilise us going forward. I think you've you've kind of nailed it there, Clive.
3: Clive, yeah, I, I didn't really, Phil. Thanks for agreeing with me. You can come again. But, but, and I didn't. I, <laughs> wait, I just. Wait, 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 But actually, Phil, I didn't know the profile of the Turkish players. So thanks for that, because that was like. That, that, that seals me in my head. And the reason why I use the words cradle, the reason why I use that, is because I think this does lead to the forwards. Elliot, maybe it's time for us to realize that our forwards are standing in the wrong place too long. And we can't be talking about these guys as kids on the t- chalk on the boots anymore, getting mm-hmm. smashed to bits. I use the word cradle because what that does is if you've got ball-progressing cradlers... What that does is that brings them inside a bit more, and then they become what you think they are in it, which is like a salaf in, in Saka's case, because he's not at the moment. He's far more Amarez, if you see what I mean profile-wise, mm-hmm. and having to come inside. And I think that is something that we can do. Sometimes we look to the YouTubes and we look to the um, we look to the the shiny players, and I do it by the way, I'm worse than anybody, I post them out. <laughs> right? So like, uh, and, so, and then, and then um, but, then you have to look what you can do with just, your, just that one signing, and a change of emphasis, and change where people stand, and, and just your structure slightly, and everything can change, just by moving people, eight yards inside, and having a different profile on the outside, that would give you a different look. And I think different looks is what everyone's think about at the moment. The looks that we've been rumbled on a little bit, although I do think some of that's energy-wise and fatigue-wise and injury. We need different looks anyway, regardless of what's happened the last two games. We need different looks. And this is a way of getting it, in my thoughts.
1: Yeah, and I think, let's come on to the attack. But before we do that, let's just finish on this sort of fullback thing. You have a couple responsibilities when you're, I think managing slash running a football club. And the primary responsibility is to not let the current season just drift away. So it's always important to be thinking about squad building. And I think I'll admit that for a long time, I tended to be very narrow in my view of squad building as this giant project that you're piecing together. But as I get older and realize I'm going to die eventually, I would like us to win something before that happens. (laughs) And so I'd like the project to come to fruition before I'm dead. Um, I joke, but what I mean is you can't just be forever building projects, right? They have to come to fruition. And we are currently in a moment, in a period where I think a lot of us think the window is kind of, if not this exact season, we're sort of in it. You, You can't throw seasons away. And so, Phil, the first priority is to use the transfer window to ensure that you aren't so fragile in a certain area, that the season collapses due to that. Last season, are I think I believe, if not everybody believes, I certainly believe the William Saliba injury cost us the title, and that if he had stayed fit, maybe we don't win it. But I think it goes right to the wire, you know. And 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 I think that that very much could have been a special season. We didn't have the player we needed behind him. We stuck with Rob Holding, and you know we know what happened there. So, do you regard it as a requirement that we get in a defender this window and that, regardless of what we try to do to stimulate the attack, because we're going to come on to the attacking issues and whether it transfers transfer is the only way to fix it, that we must get a defender and that the sort of the ability to keep the season together and, and working depends on it? Because there are some people, Phil, that would say, hey, you know, you're leaning a little too much into immediacy because we don't know the severity of Zinchenko's injury and Tomiyasu you know, isn't done for the season and there's rumors of Timber being ready in March. I want to go on the record saying I don't think he'll play this season. But, you know, let's say he's available in April and Tomiyasu's available in late February and Zinchenko's calf is only a two-weeker and he's back. Like, you could suddenly find yourself in a situation where you've brought in a left-back and you have four of them by mid-March. So are we being too short-term in our thinking or is it absolutely essential that we protect the season by not letting this particular crisis, my word, a <laughs> uh, uh, derail what we're trying to achieve?
2: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because you you could look at it as an, an as an immediacy thing, but there are also question marks about a couple of those players in, in the back line anyway. I still mm-hmm. think Kivior, I do like the player. I, I think there's a lot of talent there that we maybe haven't utilized to the best of our ability, and I don't think we've given him enough of an opportunity to shine, but let's say... AC Milan come knocking again, because I know they have done already, or Inter or a Napoli or someone like that. Do you think that might not sway him in the summer? You know, I I just think there's there's opportunities for us to do something now and then kind of manage things further down the line. Could you look at midfield and say, we need somebody? Yes. Do we need a striker or a winger? Probably both. But that's been clear for, for some time now. I just think January is such a difficult window to do anything in, and I go on on Twitter and I see you know people doing this chart and that chart, and you know we can bring in a striker, a winger, and a and a, and a centre back. It's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. We need to kind of stick to what is the the most pressing need at the moment and do it. I know the the Hato one was mostly talked about as a summer deal, but I look at some of the the January signings that we've been speaking about for for strikers. I like Ivan Tony I've never been convinced about this deal at the numbers being quoted not to mention he's just spent you know 9 months out of football um and I think he's about to turn 29 so for me that one is a is a firm no go I really like Dominic Solanke I think he could offer us something different at center forward why would Bournemouth let him go now mm. he's under contract he's just signed a new 5 year deal And they've just hit form after struggling for the first three months of the season. Why would they let him go now? Same again with Wolves, Pedro Neto. You think they're going to let him go for anything less than 60? And do Arsenal have 60 million pounds to spend in January? No. Mm. I think for me, the, the, the most important thing is to maybe react with one signing. And I'm looking at Arteta here because I know we lost Saliba and Tomiyasu, which was a big problem for us last year but we know that he's stuck with Rob Holding for too long. We've lost our last two games in the league. Can he show that he's able to react to that and just put something out that's a little bit different to give us a fresh look or a fresh emphasis? Because if he plays Kivior again in the next game doing that same role, I'd start to have a few concerns because it's clear that he doesn't help Kivior doing that and he doesn't help the team. I just like a bit of freshness from Arteta. Like I said, whether that could be Jorginho coming into the side whether that could be switching to a back three you know because I think we've got options it's just about how he puts them out but for me the obvious option and the easiest option is to bring in a defender I think midfield and and striker will have to wait for the summer
1: I, I think midfield certainly has to wait I would like something in the attack to be brought in if it can be done that's an easier said than done I tend to lean your direction Phil that we have to do something defensively and I realize I have to thread a needle because it probably has to be short term um, in the sense that you don't want to wake up in the summer with a player you've signed long term that's sort of a left back specialist and have Tim Brons and Chenko and Tomiyasu and Ben White. And so I-, I also think there's a possibility there could be an exit in our future that we're not thinking about. Um but, that but also
2: we're, we're in a really difficult position with outgoings as well, because everybody's happy to let go of Reese Nelson, Eddie and uh Smith, Roy, Ramsdale. But if we can't replace them, then we're just making our squad um, even shorter, you know? Yeah. Um, and can we afford to do that if we can't bring players in? We can't.
1: Well, well I've said this, Phil. I, I think once you commit to those players, you also have to commit to using those players. It, you know, we... You completely, only get so many completely. squad places, and so it, you can't out of one side of your mouth be like, "Oh well, you know, we can't replace them," but also I don't want to use them, uh, Clive.
3: Yeah, I just you talk about left back and mm-hmm. being left with them. This is why the Hato signing is, or the Hato profile. I won't say signing because we don't know what's going to happen. That's why that profile. It'll be announced after like,
1: I hit publish. Don't yeah. worry, we, we've got <laughs> that magic in us.
3: Uh, based on my research, because he's been linked for a little while. That profile really excites me because he's a, he's a ball-progressor, left-sided player who could develop into a left centre-back quite easily in a three or a two very quickly, but could also play the, the inverted ball-progressing, carrying left-back that we lack when Kivio was standing there counting the daisies by his feet. Do you see what I mean? And so that's what we need. So that profile doesn't, doesn't block anybody and it creates a level of depth and versatility. So that's when it works, Elliot. You know, that's when it really works. And when you see that, what it does, it says, it covers that side. But also, we know Timur can stand that side. We know Tom Yasser can stand that side. But we also know Timur can play on the right-hand side, and Tom Yasser can play on the right-hand side, and also play in defence, central defence. And I do think, just through my eyes, looking at Kivior, I wonder how well he's settled in the UK. You know, so you need to think about Then you're taking somebody out and you're creating room for a young hater to be a left-back stroke, left-centre-back cover, second left-back, second left, second left-centre-back, growing to the team as an 18-year-old. Get him soon, he becomes homegrown, the price is decent, the contract length is rolling down. The more I look at that one, the more I think, bloody hell, that looks too good to walk away from. You got to get rid of people to make room with the FFP or rules, financial rules. You make room for that player, and I think it's worth it because you, you're protecting mm. yourself for many years to come.
1: Yeah. Well. So then the the question becomes: Will so you've already answered this, Phil? That you think an attacking signing is not for this window. So let me stay with you for a second, Clive, and then Phil, I'll ask you a question on how we update things in the attack. Clive, do you think there's an attacking signing that checks both the boxes of doable in January and worth going for, that you know that doesn't undermine where we're going? I, I like Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony makes us better the day he arrives. But I acknowledge that the the price is being mooted and at the age that he's at, it is not part of the project of where we are going. But to my earlier point, not everything can be a project. At some point, y- you have to win things. And I think we want to win things in the next two to three seasons. And Ivan Tony, like, like if you bought Ivan Tony at 29 years old two seasons ago, that wouldn't have made much sense. But if you buy him now and you have him at 29, 30, 31, in the three years when you really think you should be winning something, that might make sense. Like the irony is, you know, the Obamiang signing, right? We got Obama Yang in the downswing of his career, but he gave us a few really good seasons before he faded. Um, had we had Obamiyang right right this Jan, because we bought him in January, right? If we bought Obama Yang in this January, think of the Obamiyang who we got right when he arrived in this January window. That would be a hell of a player to have, um, y- you know. But he was not the player for this project by the time this project started. By the way, uh, Phil has led me down the Primrose path, uh, made me look bad by saying that he's. He's 29, Ivan Tony. But as everybody knows, you're 28 until you're 29. That's how it works. He's not even 28. He's turning 28 in March. We've added two years to this guy's age. So, I mean, you see what I'm saying, Clive, right? Like, he might not have been the guy we'd wanted to buy two or three seasons ago when this project was starting. But for where it is right now, this is a senior, experienced, goal-scoring, ball-winning, target man option in his most adult years as a footballer in the peak of when we want to start winning things as a team i don't have a problem with this signing i really don't and i know people want victor Osimhen, and i know they want killian mbappe and that's all well and good i think we have a hell of a player in gabriel jesus i don't think we need to just go ahead and rip this up and try to do it differently i think we need to add a player that can start and Jesus moves wide, doesn't have to start every game, is Is a player who will love being at Arsenal and give something to Arsenal with Premier League experience at a time in his career when we don't have to worry, is he learning the role? Does he know the role? Uh, this This fits for me. And I know a lot of the data people say it's the wrong guy, but it fits for me. Um, I, w- I would do it. I think that there's still too many things we can win to roll our eyes at a player that has done what he's done in, in the league. So... I know that will not be a popular take. Do you want to tell me why I'm wrong?
3: Ah, uh, it's just just money. Uh, it's just it's just but numbers. Not my money. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't unless you want us to be deducted ten points. It is important. yeah. Uh, you know? um, yeah, they're
1: and, going after Forest now. By the way, they're they're making their way to City. Give them fifty years; they'll figure <laughs> <yeah>. it out.
3: <laughs> so, and it's just money. And I I have this same conversation you just had with me. Um, I think this team could do with a. With a a dad bloke up front, you know somebody's the best fighter in the in the car park. We need we need that in the front line. We haven't got that focal point centre forward. We have interchangeable pieces that connect and and combine with each other. When our distances get big, we don't connect anymore. If we can't progress the ball as we'd like, we don't connect. We've partially solved that with Averts, but that's not consistent yet. You know, depending on the day, depending on the game. I think he suits certain games. Boy, did he suit West Ham. As I said, when we played West Ham, would West Ham have played so deep if we had Havertz in our team? They may have pushed out. You know, they pushed out, Fulham pushed out a little bit more and Havertz wasn't able to get into the back post areas. Or we ignored him, which we are very low. We do this very often. We ignore the strengths of that player and we do other things. You know, so... So so Ivan Tony suits in my mind, Elliot, from my football manager point of view. He's right there, right? He he suits in my mind. But i rather just console myself with, this team needs a focal point centre-forward. That is for sure. And you don't want to buy this twice. You want to buy it once. And there's one guy out there that could be gettable at a fixed price of just over £100 That If you buy that player you're buying your system you're saying this is what we are now we've sorted out the back door we're playing in your half and by the way when you go wide when we go wide now you don't have to get you would have to get really worried because when we come back inside we came back inside and you've got a problem in your box because he he does something else you know and if 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 Brentford wanted to buy Eddie and Katie for 40 million and by the way give us 30 million on top, we can do a deal, but that's just in my head. Right? That's, a, that's just in my head, you know, but it's, that's not the real world. The real world means that they started at 60 and it's now 100. The real world is they've got, they've got a couple of forward injuries and Brentford sliding down the table. The real world is he's staying, mate. He's absolutely staying for that team because they need him to stay to get their 120 million from the Premier League next season. I won't say it's going to be a problem for Brentford. I think they've lost five out of six or something like that. They've been competitive in all. And so this is a problem for them. So why are they going to give away their crown jewel if They've got to find something fantastic in the background. If it's something fantastic in the background, why aren't we looking at him? And why would Brentford take that risk right now? Because they're going to have to assimilate into the group. They can't do that. Because teams like Luton and Forest and Bournemouth, they're starting to look pretty you know, much better than they were. And so, if you're mm-hmm. Brentford, you've got to say something. I don't want to be dragged down into that. Now, Everton are finding their feet. Well, if Everton gets some points back, I don't want to be dragged down into that. So, why are they going to give us away? And so, although, Elliot, I totally agree with your your, you know, your premise and your summary, but I just can't see it. I just can't see it. Although, I would be, there are lots of smart people that really think it could happen. And that's the kind. So, I, just my own personal view, I just can't see it.
1: I mean, Brentford have the same problem Arsenal have. Goals. And they don't have anyone to score them. And the Premier League's worth more than the transfer fee. I, I think I think Brentford would... It's funny. If Brentford had like six more points, I think they'd sell them. And I don't think it's going to be 100 million. I think that's the stuff you put in the press when you're willing to take 70 million. And I think it'll probably get done in the 60 to 70 range. And there are people that would say that's way too much. Maybe it gets done in the 50 to 60 range. Pro- yeah. There are some people that think even that's still too much.
3: Hey, look, you just know that think sometimes, striker market.
1: Yeah, go ahead.
3: You're sorry, mate. You know sometimes players get really good and they don't play? Mm. Can any of us remember his last game? Just just one remember of Remember his you know, games against us? <laughs> they, weren't, <laughs> yeah, they weren't But fun. we probably, uh, we can probably remember that game. And I watched that game. And I, I, thank goodness we had Sleeper because we had somebody else, we'd be in trouble real trouble and he still caused a trouble on that day and I watched that game live we have these memories of people when we're missing a component the people that we think can fill it become unbelievable you know in our minds mm. But can any of us remember the last game? Can any of us remember the last shot that he missed when he miscontrolled? Now we can't. We'd seen all the clips. He's perfect. It's exactly what we need. Anyone remind ourselves he hasn't kicked the ball for nine months. Also, he wasn't able to train for three or four months of that time with a group, with football people. And when you train with football people, you maintain your levels. We don't know what we do not know what we we'll would be walking into. And that, that sounds very pragmatic. I'm sorry, but I just got to say it. You know, we have to think about this in the longer, in the medium to longer term, and maybe look at something Mm. more systemic to maximize our resources we currently have.
1: Yeah. And I don't look, I don't think he is an elite striker as a goal scorer per se. I think it's hard to judge at Brentford a little bit. But if I look at where our strength is in those two wide players that we're trying to unlock, Saka and Martinelli, and I look at what they need, someone who wins. First balls are, you know, second balls that can fall to those guys who can who can tee them up into positions where they can maybe run onto balls in the box. Odegaard can run onto a ball into the box. You know, I certainly think against West Ham that would have been handy. Um, maybe against Fulham in a day when your football just isn't at its best. I mean, Liverpool are a pretty direct team. Now you say Liverpool a direct team without a target man. So there is some of that, although Gakpo I think is a good ball winner. I think Darwin Nunez is a pretty good ball winner just in terms of a big body. By the way, Gabriel Jesus is good at that. I I don't want to dismiss Gabriel Jesus's quality. I just, you know, I think there is a desire to get that, that Goldilocks hundred million quality striker, you know, a Declan Rice quality striker. And maybe people think it's awesome, Hen. Some people think it isn't. I think Kylian Mbappe would do. I don't think we're getting him, unfortunately. Um, it's a tough market. It's a tough position to fill. And I think that this is an option that I would take if we could make the money work. I think you could certainly move Nkedia and it's pure book profit because he's an academy player and you could move Aaron Ramsdale and you might be able to make the deal work. But for the reasons we've stated, I don't think it suits Brentford. So let's do this then, Phil, before we start to turn our attention to the Liverpool game. I want to talk a little bit about the attack itself and if there is an actual attack problem and if it can be fixed just by what we've got and the players we have, and if we're overreacting to recency bias or if the attack is problematic. Because, by the way, the players we've got produced the most goals in the history of our club just last season. So I think that there is context to be added to this, although I think there's also some concern. So it, it's a little from column A, a little from column B, but you also need a little from column C which is athletic greens. That is the nutrient that you need to take. It's AG1 and you can get it at drinkag1.com. AG1. Hello, everybody. We're going to tell you about this. AG1 is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics, right? It is formulated to be adopted by your body, to be absorbed by your body. That is a critical difference. It is so funny. Before I started taking AG1, a friend uh, recommended it to me, Um, I I had been taking gummy vitamins and gummy supplements because I like candy, basically, right? Isn't that why we take these gummies? Why did gummies come around? Not because there are better delivery mechanisms, because people like to eat candy. And you're like, oh, it's not candy, it's a vitamin. Then you turn around and it's like 50 calories per serving, and it's all sugar. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. AG1 is keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, paleo-friendly, low sugar, right? You put it in water, you drink it, it's giving me more energy so I can drink less coffee. It's helped with my gut health issues, which is what I was going for. Uh, It's for recovery. It was designed by athletes with athletes in mind. Uh, Real nutritional science at work. And I think uh, it's something that you could definitely give a try. See what you think. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision club. Is that enough of that?
3: Indeed, you
1: have nailed it, sir, Phil, our attack it is terrible, everything is awful, our players are no good. that's why we need to sign in January, or we have everything we need it, it's just a it's a mood it's an it's a issue of form it's what's happening? you know I, I have seen when things go badly. You see people scrabble around in the dark for any explanation. And so some explanations that make a lot of sense get thrown out. Some that I don't think make sense get the, you know, we're too slow in our buildup. We're too ponderous. We don't put crosses in. We don't put out swingers in. The wide players should switch. We should try, I mean, uh, an answer that I'm actually kind of curious to get your take on. We should try Kai at nine. You know, we're saying we should get Ivan Tony. Well, guess what? Kai wins aerial duels. Kai's a big body. Kai is a focal point. We won't play him at nine. We play Eddie who doesn't do those things. So we, there's a million explanations people have for our struggles in attack. But for people who are saying, well, actually we're not struggling in attack. Let me just give you this one number. Cause I think this one is a, is a relevant one. And I know there are people that don't love XG as a stat. So let me just hit you with G, which is goals. Arsenal have 19 open play goals this season. 19. Here are the teams that have more than that. Manchester city and Liverpool who are one and two Tottenham who are three Brighton Villa, Villa, Newcastle, West Ham, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Forest, Fulham, Wolves. All of those teams have more open play goals than us. Those 19 goals come on 25 expected goals. That is just two fewer expected goals from open play than City, yielding 13 fewer goals. We happen to have 11 set-piece goals, the most in the league, and then we have those six penalties. So 17 goals from open from, uh 17 goals from set pieces and penalties, 19 goals from open play. A lot more that we could have if we just finished our chances at the rate that we'd be expected. So in other words, just being better at finishing at a, at a basic level, not overperforming, basic level. We would have six additional goals and we'd be tied with Liverpool for goals scored this season. To me, Phil, that's that's a pretty interesting statistic I don't think we're creating enough from open play, but literally our form in front of goal explains the entire difference between us and Liverpool right now from open play. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious if you think this is a structural issue the way everybody's been analyzing it, or is it as unsatisfying as it is to say it, just a case of a lot of players not performing at the level that we would expect in front of goal?
2: I mean it can definitely be a combination of things. I mean anyone who's watched Arsenal with regularity this season knows that our finishing has not been up to scratch. Um and that that's reflected in in the obvious numbers, you know, the goals assists but also in in the underlying numbers where we're performing well below par um in terms of what we should be producing. For me the biggest issue that I've seen in the last couple of games is kind of similar uh, similar to the Kivio one in how you get players to succeed and how you get players to thrive. And it's no secret that the two danger men in our team, we like to attack through them. We, you know, that's what we do. We have Gabriel Jesus as a foil up front and we use our our wingers as kind of wide forwards who can come in and score and assist all of our goals. For me, I know it's been kind of magnified in the last two games, but it's been happening a lot this season anyway, in general. We don't give them enough space or opportunity to succeed. I'm sick of seeing Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand touchline, close to the corner flag, with three players around him, just passing back to the left-back. I'm sick of seeing Bukayo Saka doing the same thing on the right-hand side. And And I know... This is kind of a ridiculous example because Mohamed Salah is a unicorn in terms of what he has and continues to produce, but just watch him. I mean, he can stay wide and stretch the play, but his movement and knowing when to come in, when to attack the box, when to go for the combinations, that is the example. We need Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka closer to goal. If that's going to be your main attacking outlet, they need to be closer to goal and it could be a, a whole host of things why that isn't working. It could be the fact that we are prioritizing a bit of dominance and control the season as to more sort of breakneck speed and counter counterattacks, which we, which we like to watch last season. It can be an issue of Havertz still adapting to that left eight position. It can be an issue of Gabriel Jesus not working quite as we'd like up front. Could be really a host of things, but ultimately... I don't think they are close enough to goal to produce the numbers that we ask of them you know and their finishing has been below par saka is still producing the numbers you know that's that's quite obvious in in all the charts and everything but gabriel martinelli has has fallen off a cliff and we need to look at why that's happening um and i i just feel in the last few games he is too far away from the goal to be to be causing any problem to it and It happened against West Ham. They were putting two players on him every time, flooding the box, cross, head away, cross, head away. The pass was going back to the left eight, coming back to the center, going to the right uh, eight. Too much horseshoe, too many touches. What made Martinelli so special is the quickest route to goal. He was always head down, quickest route to goal. I haven't seen any of that this season. And part of that is down to him, but I don't think we're giving either player enough in terms of our structure, in terms of our performances to, to give them the platform to do enough, which yeah. is something that needs to be rectified and considered very quickly.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you just look at it, we have, Bakaio Saka is like seventh in assists, I think. Other than that, in any attacking metric you want, goals, XG, XA, any of that, we don't have a player in the top 15. It's not going to cut it. The top three players in expected goals plus expected assists, Holland, Nunez, Salah. Two at Liverpool, one at City. Not one in the top 15 for Arsenal. And y- you have to be there. And I think ultimately, there are two things you can say. I don't think our front three are as talented as we thought. If you believe that, that's you're entitled to that belief. I don't agree with it. But if you don't agree with that, then you have to say, how come we're not able to unlock them? And there has to be <clears throat> an answer to how to do that. I know some people say we, we're too slow, by the way. We build too slowly. An interesting comparison. Liverpool build the most direct of any team in the league. But interestingly, City build the least direct and the most slow of any team in the league. By a lot. Brighton are actually a bit slower than us, although slightly more direct. Uh we are the third least direct and the third slowest in the league. But City are by far the least direct and the slowest, and their attack works. So your mileage may vary on how much that is a problem, Clive. Your thoughts on this?
3: Oh, loads of thoughts. It's lovely listening <laughs> to you both talking. Hit us with them. Uh, <laughs> do you need um, to go for
1: another walk first, though? Do you, do you yeah, want to think about it on your walk
3: because this was the other section of my walk. Really thinking about oh, yeah, okay. um, our centre midfield balance. So let's have let's have a little chat, right? So when Declan Rice came in, he came in primarily as a left centre mid, and I was always worried about this. 'Cause we invert from the left hand side and I thought there's gonna be we're now we're now spending hundred million quid on somebody. We're asking Reed to move over to the other side. So I did a mm-hmm. little worry, how would we do this going forward? Then we bought Timber I thought, oh, here we go. We're gonna invert for the right hand side and then we're gonna roll around into that one. We tried it at Man United, remember Man United preseason? We had Sleebra out of the central centre back and Gabrielle in there. Didn't work, mate, did it? didn't work you know and um so we tried other things to make that configuration work now sinchenko's back in and he's sort of combining with with rice but i don't sense a a true double pivot if you see what i mean i sense sinchenko rolling around like a 10 trying to do all the things that rice doesn't like doing which is progressive passes in certain phases of the game and so i don't i still don't feel that balance is quite right Hence, why I do think fullback is a development area, and I mean on both sides for this team. I think it's a development area. Everyone's talking about um, Rice's progressive passes. I'm absolutely fine with it. I do think potentially we miss a midfielder that, that puts on his shin pass and says, I'm going to run this thing, I'm going to play make. There's progressive passes and there's a disguised pass. There's a party pass, Tiago pass, the pass that sends the, you know, like American football, Where the quarterback does a no look, no look pass, sends you the other way, and suddenly the, the, the person who receives it got space to receive it. We miss that inventiveness of passing, not progressive passing, but inventiveness of passing. Maybe a bit more risky passing, but it's that risky passing that cost that we felt last season made some of our games open. Now I start to think about it a bit further. What have we added this year? We've added a much more off the ball emphasis, how we react to transitions. But I think we're afraid to create transitions. And by transitions, sometimes you need to create counterpress opportunities. Because I do think as a as a attribute, we've improved with the additions that we have and the amount of minutes that they're playing, in particular in Jesus' fitness now with Havertz, with Rice. For me, they are unbelievable off the ball. But you have to be comfortable giving it away to get it back. Although I'd like to see our forwards come inside a little bit more and start a bit more inside on occasions, I'd like to see us be a little bit less cautious, in particular areas of the pitch, to give the ball away to get it back. I'm literally saying to people, I'd like to see us give the ball away. It doesn't sound right. But you two Mm. guys are smart enough to know what I'm saying. As soon as we get the ball back in uncontrolled play, what what do we have? We have two wide men that literally switch on quicker than a light in transitions and they make the right decisions. How do we score our goal at Fulham? It wasn't crafted. It was because Castagna went forward too much, found himself over the advertising hoardings, couldn't get back in. We go straight into his hole, we break into that hole, get a shot off, rebound, goal. When was the last time someone gave us that amount of space? Hardly ever. You know, so we have to create we have to create distress by sometimes creating uncontrolled play. And I don't think that works for everybody, but it works for how to white men. You know, it works for Jesus. They work better in trauma. They work better in trauma. They can create trauma with their actions. It's something just to think about, because I'm I don't believe. This answer's in the checkbook. I believe it's in our priorities of how we want to prioritise certain attributes in our attack. I think we prioritise control and structure. And by the way, I'm all for it. But don't do that for every team. Do that for Man City at home. I love that performance. I love what we did in the charity shield. Don't do that for other teams. Don't do that for average teams. Get after them. Give them the ball. Get after them. Rattle their ankles. Impose yourself onto them. I do think there's enough teams out there where we can do that. And, um, but yeah, I'm looking for, I'm looking for internal solutions and change of emphasis of coaching messages. That's where I am at the moment because I don't think the answer is in a fantasy football world.
1: Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. It's funny because I actually, I think like we've been a very good pressing team this season. Um, we are passes per defensive action. PPDA are right up there at the top, but essentially level with Liverpool and Spurs as the most pressing. I think our press was shit against Fulham. And I think we were just shagged out. Like, honestly, I think you saw a bunch of really tired players on a sodden pitch that, that didn't engage their press. I also, and again, not to pick on him. I think if there's a big difference between Nketty and Jesus, where, where it shows up a lot is in pressing. Just, just a thought there. Um, I do think that Zinchenko is a liability in some ways, but I think Zinchenko is actually really good at reading the game and cutting out passing lanes, um, so I think that was a miss. But of course, you're always going to say the players who didn't start are the reason you didn't perform. It is really hard to analyze this. I, I'm, I'm going to say something, Phil, that is so unsatisfying, but i got to say it again. I think there is also a possibility that maybe our players are just a little out of form. Um, and I know that that's not a pleasing answer, but consider this. We are on pace for more expected goals than this season than last season. Except last season we produced 84 goals from them. We're on pace for more shots per game this season. Okay? We're we're doing the things that you think a good team would do. Here's a here's a pretty wild stat to me. We lead the league in shots ending from a high turnover. Right? So we create a high turnover and then a shot comes from it. We have 40 shots from high turnovers. We've turned that into 3 goals i would expect that to maybe convert to more you know that that's an area you could look at um brighton who are second in that behind us in those shot totals have six goals again three goals may not sound like a lot but it is a lot it's a low scoring game right i mean like the, the the goal here the goal there that you don't get from a high turnover like that matters so i look at all the data and it's not just about data the eye test tells me something's not firing with the attack but I wonder, look at the Fulham game. The Martinelli shot that slides just past the post. The Bukayo-Saka volley that blasts wide, you know, high and wide. A couple of chances like that in the West Ham game. If Saka puts that in the back of the net, Martinelli puts that in the back of the net, we win the game 3-2 at Fulham, even though we played ugly and we have that paranoia, oh, the, the, the hallmark of a good team is you win ugly. Would we be talking about the attack? I don't know that we would. So are, are you open to the idea, as, as much as it may not give people the intellectual satisfaction they want, that our front three have to play better. They, they have to take their chances. And if they do that, at the rate that we expect of them, we will see the attack look more like itself. Because the other thing that we know, Phil, is goals change games. If if we come out of the blocks, remember how we came out of the blocks against West Ham? Those first 13 minutes? I thought we were the best team in the world. And we had a couple big chances right in the first 13 minutes. You put those away and it's 2-0. That game's over. <laughs> he says us having thrown away a 2-0 against West Ham just last season. I understand. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I I think there's a form component here, and I just know that nobody wants to hear that because they want they want a solution where you can say, if we do this, it changes. I sort of think something about football is about the good players putting the ball in the back of the net.
2: I, I think this is the easiest um, summation of them all. Um, you can talk about systems how you counter press, how you get players closer to goal, your combinations, who you play at left eight, right eight. Ultimately, players have to take responsibility. Um, And it hasn't been good enough in recent weeks. I, I, I just haven't seen enough emphasis or incision in any of our actions. Everyone was talking about, we've had 30 shots against West Ham, 77 touches in the penalty box. Did they worry for a single second? Mm. after the uh, after Saka hit the post in the first half after uh, you know 13 minutes every every shot went straight into the midriff of Ariola um you know the Mavropanos or Bono were just comfortable heading everything out for me it's about threat you can look at the numbers in a, in another way and they will tell a story but it's about your intention and what what always amazes me about liverpool is i don't think their midfield 3 is balanced at all you know, they've got Sobosly in there, Curtis Jones, um, McAllister, who's playing as the six, even though he's not really a six. This is a, it, it's finely composed, but I wouldn't say this is like the perfect trifecta of of midfield options. They're all, yeah, uh, forward thinking players. I don't think Endo is, is up to much. I think he's done well, but just watch them when they attack. They, they're like the red arrows. Mm. It's not just Salah. It's not just Martinelli. They've got Nunez running straight down the center. Soboslai running quickly down the center to get on the edge of the box. Um, Curtis Jones is even contributing this season. And I know they're different. We are a different team to Liverpool. But I've just felt us lacking so much direction and incision in our actions. And I know we like to control games and suffocate teams to death. Um, And that's fine. City do it every week. But we're talking about form. It wasn't too long ago that they'd got three points in four games. You know, they, they drew against City, drew against Liverpool, I think drew against Spurs and lost to Villa. That's a terrible return. Mm. Three points from 12. And now they're already, already back up there as, you know, oh, the inevitable City who are going to turn it on post-Christmas and, and move everyone aside. Football changes very quickly. One or two changes can really make a difference. And for me, it's just about getting our players in the best positions for them to cause damage. And I don't think we've been able to do it enough this season. I You know, me and you, Elliot, have spoken about attacking concerns since the start of the season. You know, even when we won against United, was anybody convinced about the attacking performance on the day? That could have that was a Gabrielle Shimmy aside from being a defeat. Mm. You know, I I just think we're opting to to play in this new way with a new style. Yes, we're embedding players into the team. But for me, we're just a bit safe. We feel safe and our players need space in transition to really thrive. And I don't think we've given enough to it um, this season.
1: And the only game I'd put forward is like a pushback on that. Cause I agree with you. <clears throat> we got space against Villa and we pulled them apart really well. And just time after time, after time, after time we made bad choices or failed to execute or took the wild shot instead of the, the extra pass. And it's funny, you know, Clive, when Liverpool were busy taking a melon ball or to Newcastle the other day, um, and just absolutely carving them to pieces over and over and over again. They got a goal from I want to say, was it Curtis Jones or was it Elliott, Where Salah yeah, makes a Jones. beautiful pass between the fullback and the center back. Great. Fine. We do that all day long. But what makes that goal is Jota makes the extra pass and then it's a tap in. And I do feel when I look at Odegaard slashing shots over the bar, or when I look at us taking first-time volleys with men at the other side. You know, poor Scott. Scott's been guilty of posting so many screenshots on social media saying, should he have passed here? And people make fun of it. But I think there's something to this. I do feel that we... Maybe it's pressure. Maybe it's the pressure of wanting to win everything. I don't know that our decision-making in the final third has been as composed and as effective as it should be. I don't know if we're finding the extra man or, or making the pullback. You know, like... Do do you think that we're struggling a little with that cuz the Villa game is the is the counterpoint to what Phil said where we had the room the game was stretched we did beat their high line but we still contrived to blow those openings you know
3: Yeah so you think it's the extra pass I think it's the initial run We need to run through blocks more you know and that's what mm. we're missing a little bit because it was the Good run for, that made Salah's pass then it's a square pass. Anyone can square pass. Trust me, there's only one thing to do there once you got there. It's not a decision to make. When you're in the edge of the area, there's four people looking at you, stiff looking at you, and no one's running, you know what you're doing? You're shooting. You know? Yeah. If you're standing on the back post, there are four people on the back post, it's your job to clip it to the back post. It really is. And, make, and because that's your game plan. So I do think we're, we're lacking penetrative runs. Um, again, when we're fit and fresh, we make those penetrative runs. When we were static and slow and tired at Fulham, we, we didn't have, didn't see any of that. Then we look at individuals' ability to to beat people. And when they get boxed out, lose the ball, we get transitioned on, and suddenly we've got, we haven't got our 3-2, our we've got a, a left centre-back standing there wondering where he should stand, and Declan Rice doing 50-yard doggies until he ran out of energy. You know, that's not smart right so that's not smart so we've got things we can do better and I'm and I'm and I'm pretty cool with it to be honest with you I'm not saying that I'm pretty cool that a lot of this can be resolved you know it can be fixed with with different emphases but if I I don't you know I was Liverpool Newcastle game and it was spectacular some of the attacking play but <laughs> I'm just gonna sound crazy now Newcastle are in that game they were in that game. They may not deserve to be in that game. They were in that game. If Liverpool didn't get those penalties, without those two penalties, obviously it was big XG numbers earlier, but they were in that game. That was not control. It was just Liverpool saying, we're going for you until, you, until eventually you're going to get knocked out. And they did it. They wouldn't do that against us. They, they, couldn't do, they couldn't give us the ball back that many times. And when they did, look at the field tilt. Look at the field tilt. We had them in the last 20, we didn't have the energy to knock them out, but look at the field tilt. They couldn't do that against us and that's why there was respect there. But what they did do, much like I was trying to say earlier, against a team which they felt they could do on the day, they weren't afraid to give it away. They weren't afraid to run into areas. And I think we have to do that a little bit more against the Fulhams, against the West Ham, be a bit more direct, create them a problem by giving them the the ball to carry on occasion. So, I think, again, simple things like pace a pass, position of our front three, running through to create space for other people, I think is, is, is important for me going forward. I tend to favor, if I'm honest with you, and I did this last year, I think there are different gains of football in the new year. I do tend to favor a true double pivot when it gets to the money months. You've heard me say this before. So I have a bias there. You know, so um, but you can't just see football through your own system, shall we say? But um, I have a bias there For when things get hot, you know, if you're telling me that I am more comfortable with a party Rice midfield than than um maybe a Rice Havertz midfield, I'm more comfortable with that for a game for my life if everyone's fit and fresh. But on a certain day when we have got teams pinned back, then Rice Havertz is the far better better option because you have an attacker and you have the ability to stop the counter attacking off the ball much better. So long as we have these tools in place here, I think we'll be, we'll be better than we showed at Craven College.
1: And I think there are adjustments we can make. I mean, Scott dug into the numbers a bit and he posted numbers of how Martinelli, for example, performs when Enkedia starts versus when Jesus starts and the numbers are stark. It's not surprising, right? That what do you know? We're better when our first choice striker starts. Um, <clears throat> I think we can try Kai at nine. I think there's some tweaks we can make. We can use Troussard at nine. You know, we, we have seen that be his best position for us at times. We've not used it that much this season. But I also would caution that two results ago, I had us as the best team in the league, and we hadn't even fully fired an attack, and I thought we could go win it all. City dropped points, as, as Phil, you pointed out. They dropped points in four, four games consecutively. No one wrote them off. Because everybody knows you can't write them off. We need to know not to write ourselves off. We've got to start to think of ourselves that way. We drop bad points. The West Ham game, fluke, in my view. The Fulham game's a bad performance. Second game in three days. At the end of a busy period, we ran out of steam, in my view. We now have 20 days to get pretty fit. I still think it's on, which is not going to be a popular take. and may wind up looking Pollyanna-ish. But you know, two results ago... I don't think there's any team that you could say was definitely playing better than us. If I'm Mikel, I think the hardest thing in the world to do is to stick rather than twist. And I would not twist too much. I would not tear anything up. This is not a tear it up situation or blow it up situation, to use Clive's word. This is a tweak it situation at most, I think. And maybe try to add something in January. So we can finish with this then, Phil. What you can't do is you can't lose two games in the league, have everybody writing you off, and then lose at home to Liverpool in the FA Cup. And I know there are people out there who say, I don't care about the FA Cup. I want the Champions League. I want the Premier League. I'll let the FA Cup go. I, 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 you know what? You would have had me nodding furiously in agreement once upon a time, but I can't do that now. I can't do that now because I do think that winning things matters to players and fan bases. And that's kind of why we do this. And I don't know if we'll win the FA Cup or not, but I think for this team to lose a, a third consecutive game to the team that we need to catch at the top, who's coming back to the Emirates in a few weeks. They won't have Salah. They'll probably rotate like mad because they got two League Cup games as well. Let's not forget. We should have them. If we go strong in this game, we should have them. Every single thing we need right now is to rest all our players. We need Saka with his legs up. He's got an Achilles problem. We need Martinelli to get his energy back. We need to keep Jesus fit. Like there's a million reasons not to go strong. But frankly, I think we have to win this game. Just give me a quick your quick thoughts on how we approach it. They've briefed that Saka's carrying an Achilles. That leads me to think they might try to leave him out of this game, and that's the explanation that's going to kind of stand for that so people don't freak out. But how strong are you going? How much are you emphasizing the need for rest versus the need for a win in this game?
2: <laughs> well, they can brief what they like, but I, I look at Mikel Arteta, and I don't think he's... Um, in any business of rotating in this game. To be honest, it wouldn't surprise me to see the same one start um, that, w- that that started against Fulham. Um, it's one that we need to win. It's as simple as that. Circumstances, Our circumstances have changed very quickly. Two defeats will do that to you and we can't afford to lose again because things snowball very quickly from that point. And I think we're in a unique position here with Liverpool. Like you said, um, they play again in the EFL Cup just uh, three days later. So they've got more silverware on their minds. I think with us, this game becomes a lot more singular, a lot more one track. And I think we have enough time to rest um, with a trip to Dubai in between. I'm not sure, uh, I think, uh, if I'm not wrong in saying, um, planted in between that. I think we've got a real opportunity to, to have a go at them here and get I'm not going to say get fans on side or get people on side. I think it's more of an issue of us convincing ourselves as a team that this was just a short, temporary blip um, and that we are good enough to be fighting at this top table. So for me, it's one that we we absolutely need to win. I'm expecting changes from a Liverpool perspective, but even their squad... Um, can afford to go strong again, maybe not full strength, but I, I do see some players um continuing to play. So it'll be an interesting one. Um I think we are similar in stature and position, but the way we play is very different. And I like Liverpool because they are completely unapologetic in how they want to play and cause you cause you problems. So I've got no doubt that they will be going long again, looking for those Darwin runs in behind, looking for Gakpo in behind, looking for these kind of players because they've shown us that we can be hurt that way. So, but for me, this game is about us imposing ourselves again. And just if we can tweak a couple of things, do it because it's a game in itself, but also a marker for the, for the coming weeks that I think we need to change a few things in terms Clive, of how we play, not in terms yep. of, of the side.
1: Clive, how, how strong would you go? How big is the game?
3: Yeah, it's a big, it's a big game. Not because it's FA Cup for me because it's the next game mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we can't be losing two home games in a row. We certainly can't lose in three games in a row. Right? So we don't want it to replay because we, we need to get on the beach. right? So we don't want a replay affecting that trip out to Dubai. So I'm 50-50 on the FA Cup, but I'm, I'm definitely certain we need to show ourselves and react to a poor performance, which I will say is probably the first poor performance of the season. There were periods at Chelsea away, I was a little bit frustrated, and this game. The rest... I've been fine with almost all of it, give or take a few goals we left on the table and some shocking refereeing decisions. That's where I am with the season. Always knowing that last year we were the best team in, in January, the best team in November. I don't want to be the best team in November. Let these guys take all the sunlight. Let's have a look at them. Let's have a look at where Liverpool attack. Let's have a look at them. Let's let them get everything they need to get all I want to do is make sure that we beat Palace and rock up to Liverpool, I think it's February the fourth. I think it might be Forest in the middle there. Forest away is going to be a hard game. Right. So in Liverpool, February the fourth, I think it is. If we can get good points from that from that group of games, we're we're back in the show. We're back in the show. We're fresher and hopefully we've a players closer to fitness coming back from tournaments and maybe one addition to great depth to take away the defensive risk which we carry and then make some offensive tweaks, shall we say. If the market gives us money for one of our haylenders, then that's when an attacker could walk into the group. But unless that happens, I don't think that's going to happen. But yes, mate, I'm back on the boat. I'm on the boat. It's only one game. Mm. Let's make the adjustments.
1: Yeah, I think it's funny, right? Because... If Liverpool had contrived not to beat Newcastle, let's say they don't get their penalties or whatever, everybody going, what's wrong with Liverpool? They're, something's broken. Something's awful. Even though everybody watched that game knows they dominated and should have won, right? That That's where the low-scoring nature of football is weird. But can I just put one more thing out there that I think is really worth considering? Look at the performance of the four Champions League clubs in the Premier League this season. Newcastle just gave up seven and a half expected goals in their last game at the end of the holiday p- program with a bunch of injuries for a squad that is not built for that kind of being stretched, and they collapsed. What was Arsenal's worst performance of the season? The last game at the end of the holiday program. Manchester City, certainly not firing at the level you'd expect, some injuries you wouldn't expect, and Manchester United, well, <laughs> they stink. <laughs> um Only two of the Premier League clubs got through the Champions League. It's been relentless. There was a World Cup last season. And where's Liverpool? Right at the top where no one expected them to be. And why? Because they don't have Champions League. Look at the minutes we put in the legs this season. It's a low-key thing that we didn't talk about a lot, but we rotated a lot in the group stage of the Europa League last season. We did. It was a thing that we wanted Mikel to do, and you know what? We wanted to not use anybody at all, but he rotated a lot. He did. And in the Champions League... Maybe he could have more, but nobody does that. And we didn't. And we went strong in the Champions League. And look at where it's left us and Newcastle and United and to some extent City. I think there is a big component there that we have not factored in. And I think it also helps explain why Spurs are out of the gate as hot as they are and able to play with the intensity they do and why Liverpool are the most direct team and the best PPDA in the league. Klopp is loving that he doesn't have to play. his starters every three days this season. Now, uh, to Phil's point, typed into the chat, so I'll just steal it. Some of our best games and some of our most enjoyable football has been in the Champions League. I think that's about levels. Also, I think it's because those teams are willing to come play us a bit. It's not all low blocks for 90 minutes with us banging our head against the wall. But I do think it's worth noting. And I will say that in the second half of the season, that evens out. Because Klopp may not have taken the Europa League very seriously in the group stage. I think he will have to at least kind of try to win the Europa League right? I think there will be an evening out to some extent with the teams we're chasing. But, but look, Liverpool have the same advantage this season that we leveraged last season. And I, I, I again, these are sort of unsatisfying form or fatigue. But when you look at the performance of the teams that are in the Champions League, I don't think you can overlook it. So as a final point there, Phil, do you think that there's, there's some merit to looking at our worst performance of the season, and Newcastle's worst performance of the season, and to some extent United's worst performance season, and noting that it's the last game of the holiday period after all the Champions League fixtures, and noting that you know New- Liverpool, who's a lot fresher, just blew him out of the water. I think I think there's a little something there that we should factor in.
2: Of course, um, and we, look, we've spoken about a million and one reasons why Arsenal are not performing at their optimum level this season. Um. I just think it's something you have to learn how to manage. Um, And we are young, we are learning. Arteta is young, Arteta is learning. So that for me is just something you have to manage if you're going to be a top team. But obviously you rack up the minutes in that conversation. So uh, competition, sorry. And, And yeah, it's just about how you manage it.
1: We came out of the blocks looking like a pretty good team this season. I think we'll come back from this rest period looking like a pretty good team. Clive, final, final thought?
3: Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I wanted – and I kept saying get the old men and black thing out to forget last season because what we did last season is not comparable to this season because sprint out of the blocks, first 14 games, win 12, draw one, lose one. Put your legs up for six weeks, half the team, and then come back and go again. Completely different year, different competition. It was always going to be different – all we can do as fans is compare and contrast to last year because that's the data we have. But it does frustrate me. It's a completely new season, and I agree with your point 100% Elliot. And um, mm. I think it's a major factor to why we, it looks different and feels different this year.
1: Yeah, and you know, to Phil's point, we are young. Heartache to heartache we stand. No promises, no demands. Love is a battlefield. I think we can leave it there. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: No one can say we are young to me without Love is a Battlefield immediately playing in my head. That tells you a little bit about the age I am. Um, A little Pat Benatar. That went
2: went straight over my head. I'm really sorry. You don't know Pat
1: Benatar? We are young. Heartache to heartache. We stand. You don't know that one? No. No, Really? (laughs) All right. We're going to play Love is a Battlefield as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, no promises, no demands. Love is battlefield. Uh, Clive's on Twitter Clive clivepfc. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. If I didn't have a cold that's uh, affecting me, uh, I would, I would have burst it out full throated. But I'll spare everybody that. My name is Alex Smithy We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Liverpool. <laughs>